Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 277 with Danny Dover. Danny is such a fascinating character because he had 150 goals on his life bucket list, accomplished every one of them, and he shares a little bit about what it takes to have that extraordinary level of achievement to apply to your career goals or or whatever the goal maybe you set for yourself. So you'll learn one, how and why to set binary goals with zero wiggle room. Two, how to eliminate distractions ruthlessly yet tactfully. And three, approaches for rediscovering your motivation. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F277. And while you're at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our great stuff. One great thing I dig is just the magnifying glass, which you'll find in the search bar or the navigation bar to do a search. So with all 277 episodes transcribed, that means all those words are captured and searchable. So you can check that out now, available on mobile as well. That was a little bit slow in coming. But if you want to see any phrase that a guest said to say, wait, what was that guy? And what did he say? I should hear that whole conversation again. Or you have a certain issue that's popping up, you can get right to the good stuff that way using that magnifying glass search feature over at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Danny's story. Danny Dover, in 2010, assigned a deadline of May 25th, 2017, to his life. He was tired of hearing about other people's exciting lives and decided to jumpstart his own by taking steps to actually live as if the end were in sight. He tattooed his deadline on his butt and made the sole purpose of his life to complete his life list, a list of more than 150 life goals. While pursuing his list, he inadvertently became a minimalist in order to gain the necessary focus to create a more meaningful life. And these seemingly small changes in mindset, which he detailed in the book, The Minimalist Mindset, dramatically changed his life for the better. As of 2017, Delver has completed the entire life list, which has included living alone in the wilderness for a month, traveling to nearly 100 countries, mountain climbing in Antarctica, becoming a best-selling author, and more. Big thanks to Danny for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Here is Danny. Danny, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, boy. Well, I think we'll have a great chat here, so I'm excited as well. First of all, I'd love to hear 
about the tattoo on your butt. What is the scoop here? This comes up more often than I had imagined before I got this or when I got this. Okay, so if you rewind about 10 years of my life, uh, I was in a really, really, really rough spot. Uh, I was dealing with depression, among other things, and I realized, very frankly, that I had really no choice but to find a better life for myself, or perhaps a better way more than I would say, building a better life for myself. I knew I was a procrastinator. I knew that with depression, I had very, very little motivation. So I decided that I need to make this something very real, something very permanent, and something very important to me, uh, meaningful. Uh, and so I got a tattoo with what I imagined at the time would be the deadline for my life. So this was May 25th, 2017. And again, this I got this done about 10 years ago. And very, very slowly, I got started on rebuilding my life a little bit, on, on making some strides. And as I'm sure we'll talk about, on uh, working on a list of 150 goals that I had for myself before that deadline. So, so, you, so deadline for your life, you mean to complete all the items on your list prior to that date? That's correct. Now, I, you got to remember, I was in a really dire side of my life, and so I was taking this very morbid direction and a very serious direction. But in hindsight, I can look back and say hey, that... Oh, oh, oh <laughs> <laughs> that, that was exactly what I needed then. So it did the job. But I came up with this idea that it seemed like a good idea to follow this general advice of live as if the end is in sight. But of course, none of us know when that time is going to be. And so I said, well, what if I just pick a time or a date in this case and have that be my trajectory, kind of draw a line in the sand or a tattoo on my butt, if you will. Okay, well, that's cool. And so then you had a, a healthy list of 150 life goals. Can you give us an example of a couple of them that were the most challenging and, and transformational? Sure, and I should give a little context on where these list items came from. Uh, when I was in this little part of my life, I asked people around me, what were some of the favorite stories from their lives? And some of these were accomplishments. Some of these were people they'd met. Some of these were relationships they had. Uh, and I took their stories that they told me and made those the items on this life list. So some of the, the odder ones, the more challenging ones, well, first, just this wasn't specifically a bucket list item, but it was inherent to the list. So I had to come up with ways of paying for this. And perhaps even more difficultly, or at least equally difficult, I had to figure out how am I going to create a lifestyle where I can do these things as far as time goes. Because if you're going to make money, that means you're selling your time to somebody else usually. And so I need to find a nice balance there where I could do these things. Uh, so let me get some examples here. So visit every continent. These were more specific. We go to roughly about 100 different countries, uh, get multiple patents, complete many, many meaningful tasks a year. And each of these had smart goals associated with them. So each of them were very specific, but in this list they're not. Uh, run a marathon, do astronaut training. Uh, go to the Olympics, Super Bowl, World Series, uh, create a profitable business, uh, live in the wilderness alone for a month, uh, so on and so forth. 150. Oh, that's so good. And I want to I want to touch base on what you you mentioned there with smart goals. So that's kind of actually how I got my start in, in speaking as I was presenting at this uh, conference called Hobie U of Ryan Youth Leadership, which uh, I still do. It's a lot of fun. Uh, very uh, am sort of motivated, fun high school sophomores uh, assembling and having a a transformational sort of a, a weekend experience. And so I did talk about SMART goals because I was a goal-setting enthusiast. Some people are a little down on SMART goals saying that's actually not the optimal way to establish goals given our psychological understanding, given and da da da, da. But hey, you're uh, living proof. You had 150 of these and you, you knocked them all out and all of them had a SMART goal associated with it. Can you unpack first the acronym and, and second why that you think this is a... a good way to go? Well, perhaps surprisingly, I agree with some of the research that you just referenced. Okay. I don't think that SMART goals are necessarily the best way to do it for everybody, but I think the general concept, which I'll explain in just a second, 
uh, seems like a better path than what I was doing before. <laughs> smart goals. All right. <laughs> so, so before smart goals, my goals were very broad. And it wasn't clear if I completed them or not. And there was lots of wiggle room with a smart goal. And I'm not, I don't even know if I'm going to know the acronym off the top of my head, but I think it's specific, measurable, actionable. Uh, I don't know what the R is. Realistic. And, realistic. Thank you. <laughs> and timely or time-based. And I don't care so much about this, getting the specifics and nailing it down. But what I care about is making a goal that fulfills these general accomplishments that it is a binary uh, decision. Have I completed this or have I not completed this? And there's absolutely no wiggle room. Uh, it is either yes or it is no. There is no, well, maybe, or yes, but asterisk. That doesn't exist. Uh, so what I'm really going for is a binary thing. And the, the tool that I use for that is smart goals, but I'm not religious about oh, obsessing about making sure I hit each of those letters. As long as it's binary, I'm happy. Okay. And so I'd love it if you could maybe give an example of, of how you binarialized. <laughs> we invented a <laughs> word, Danny. Sure. <laughs> I think you did. I guess you get credit for that. It's, it's a joint creation. You, you made binary. So, some accomplishments or, or goals are tricky when it comes to sort of like uh, an emotional thing or about some happiness or, or like a relationship thing in terms of uh, if, if you want to have a, a good or, or better, you know, relationship with a, with a spouse or uh, great friends. So could you give us an example of, of maybe something that, that started fuzzy and how you made it smart or binary? Yeah. So let's take uh, chess, which actually ended up in in hindsight, hiney sight, if you will, yes. uh, ended up being one of my least favorite items I did on there. But originally when I wrote it down, it was not, uh, it was not a very good goal as far as being smart. It was um, learn to play chess well, I think is what I wrote. Okay. And in order to do that, and in order to make this binary, uh, you need to add more attributes to it. So what I first did was research, okay, how is chess set up? How is it measured? Uh, what does the bell curve look like? Well, those uh, rankings are insane, bro. They are insane. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. I mean, the people, there's a problem actually with this. I'll go into it. That's kind of an aside. So in order to look at distribution of uh, chess players, you look at places like chess.com, or at least is where I chose. But people who spend all their time <laughs> playing chess for fun tend to be very good at chess. And so the bell curve is shifted um, than what it would be um, <laughs> for the average human being. So it's actually made the challenge quite hard. So there's multiple chess ranking systems. There's, I believe it's ELO is how you pronounce it, and Glicklow too. Uh, so I chose Glicklow too. It looked like for my research that that was going to make most sense for my goals. I found what the center of the bell curve was. So I wanted to be slightly above average, <laughs> which would be well because I was taking into account this bias uh, that the people who are on chess.com playing this are the ones who play chess all the time are quite good. And so I want to beat the average. And I'm I believe the number was uh, 1550 on the Glickload 2 is what I had to beat. I'd have to look at my notes, but I believe that was it. So I played Jess until I was able to beat uh, 1550 on the Glickload 2, if I'm getting my numbers correct. Wow. It was terrible. Uh, well, I was going to say that. I think that would take a long time based on my progress in the game of chess. Yeah, so <laughs> chess is really interesting. I love it as an analogy, and I love it as a concept for explaining strategy. But what I found for my personal taste is that the way to get good at chess, which is just rote memorization, is trying to understand lots and lots of different permutations, and memorizing that is just not a fun endeavor for me. Not to say that it can't be great for other people. Clearly, other people get a lot of joy from it, but not for me. What I thought I was going into was a game where you would get broad strategy, but what I found to master it, at least in my understanding and from the teachers and mentors I worked with, it was more about uh, memorization and then general rules based off of trends that you started, now, that you started to see. Uh, and that that wasn't the direction I wanted to go. Well, maybe that's why I didn't get that far. <laughs> it's and, like I, I learned about that's some why basics. I didn't get farther. I mean, <laughs> there's lots. Of, I mean, yeah. any subject that we take in this kind of uh, very quantitative way 
is going to be, um, there's going to be lots of side cases. Right. And so, well, I'm intrigued there. So then, so that's the idea is, is you're shooting for, it needs to be binary such that there's no wiggle room. I know that I've achieved it by this date or I have not. Correct. So it was 1550 on the Glow 2 by a specific date. I had the overall deadline of May 25th, 2017. But when I went through each goal on this list, uh, each of these list items, I assigned a sub uh, date. So a deadline that I gave myself earlier. So Wow. That, that, see, that, that's so cool. And then now, I, I think that others would suggest, I guess the, the smart goal, you know, doubters would say, you know, hey, you need to, you know, be kind to yourself and not sort of put yourself in a position where the results or the performance is, is somewhat beyond your control. And you got to, you know, focus in on, on what you can do, the, your actions and, and the process. But what's your response to, to that kind of vibe? It's complicated. So half of me says that that's right. You should be kind to yourself. And that not enough people uh, are kind to themselves uh, for in a meaningful way and for long periods of time. And I think you can cause a lot of damage uh, by not being kind to yourself. The other part of me says that if you want to be a person who lives an extraordinary life, then you're going to have to take action that is extraordinary just by definition. And so I was a person who had given myself this big goal, this entire life list. And I said that I'm going to make this the meaning of my life. That's why I was so serious with the, with the tattoo. And so that is going to require extraordinary steps. So now, is that the right thing for every single person to do? No. But I think this general idea of trying to create some meaning or more importantly, or worded better, choosing a meaning for your life, I think that is a really good idea. And I think that does apply to everyone. Now, the difference will be in the meaning that you choose and in the execution you choose to pursue. And I'm curious to get a sense for, you said you made that the purpose of your life and it's like you just sort of decided this is very important. And then you stuck with it. Like, are there any sort of master keys that others who have fallen off the wagon for their goals can choose here? Maybe. I, I hope that by discussing this topic, some other people will be able to skip some steps that I took that ended up not being useful. So I spent a lot of time at the beginning of this journey, or, or really, let's say when I got about two thirds or a third of the way through, because at the beginning, I was doing nothing. I had no motivation. I'd barely get out of bed. But as I slowly progressed, very slowly, I started doing more research on happiness and how do you measure that and what do you look at? And there was there were studies I read about measuring uh, the different brain chemicals, which we can go into and decide. I think they're all kind of crazy. Uh, there's different ones of like measuring facial expressions and wrinkle depth to see how much you smile, that kind of stuff. And there was all these kind of studies I read and there was lots of, there was other ways people went about it from, um, well, how do you act or how are you perceived by people or how do you perceive other people? So they went a kind of more psychological perspective on it. And when I, at the end of the day, I realized it just doesn't matter. We don't know. <laughs> we really don't know what we're talking about when we're talking about measuring happiness or quantifying happiness because it means different things to different people in different contexts. So what I realized is that if I'm going to battle these very, very, very big problems in life, these big questions of why am I here? What is the meaning of, of life? I'm not going to find a binary answer. I'm not going to find something that's like specific and measurable. I'm not going to find a smart answer to this. Instead, what I'm going to find is that we don't know. It just so happens that we're here on this floating rock. You might as well just choose a purpose, just make your own decision. And what you're going to find meaning or what I found meaning from as a result of that decision is just pursuing it, having, waking up every day, having a mission, even if it's not the mission that was granted to you by some extra like spiritual being. Even if you have that choice, you've made that choice, then you can find your own meaning in that. And that's what, that's what happened to me. And I think you can do that in lots of different ways. It doesn't have to be a life list. But for me, the key was just choosing something and fully committing myself to that decision 
that's what really made a big difference in my life. That's intriguing. And, and I guess I'm wondering, you didn't waver and decide, you know what? Actually, there's another mission that's going to be the thing. And sort of back and forth, teeter-totter, uh, wobble. It's like, nope, this is the thing. And, and it's stuck. Do, any sense for you know, what made it stick? Well, first, the push for me to make this big decision was I just didn't really have any other choice. I mean, nothing was working in my life. So I needed to make a bold change or, or I was going to be stuck or I was, or, you know, even worse. So I had a large reason to push me to do this. And then the second part of it was, well, I had created this tattoo that I had told some people about. And then I eventually started writing about this kind of a year later, maybe a little longer. And so I had public peer pressure, you know, in a positive way. So positive peer pressure of people reading this and asking me, Hey, how's it going? And so I put this out here and I had these, these feedback loops in place that kind of pe- that kept pushing me forward. So were there days that I wavered? Sure, there absolutely were. But uh, I had chosen this mission and uh, it was very clear what needed to be done. And I just, it was a matter of trying to figure out how to do it. Okay, cool. Thank you. Well, so then I'm curious now, in order to do that, it takes some, some discipline associated with uh, prioritization and, and saying no to alternative things. Uh, what are some of your best practices there? Well, okay, this is a big topic. I'm glad we're going into it. So let's talk about, in order to answer this, let's try to talk about uh, high achievers. So we'll choose one aspect of high achievers. And I want to be clear, there's lots of different ways you can achieve things. But one aspect of that view, people have a lot of money. So let's say billionaires, right? Okay. And billionaires are unique, not because, well, they are unique because they have a lot of money, but that's not the part I care about. What they're unique in is they have a lot of power. So I think there's a lot of evidence that these people, in many cases, really are able to change the world. It seems like there are modern day superheroes for the people who have this much power. Uh, so billionaires being one example of that, uh, Seinfeld, Terry Seinfeld has an, a funny quote on this. He says, uh, when men are growing up and reading about Batman, Spider-Man, Superman, they see these not as fantasies. They see them as options. <laughs> I always really identified with that. I always thought that was funny. So if you look back like last year, there was something like Forbes. I think I'm quoting this from there's 2043, um, billionaires on the planets in 2017. And that number rises roughly every year by 200, depends on how the stock market does. Uh, so we have 2,000 plus billionaires who are with us right now. And none of them are Batman. This, is, this pisses me off. What the heck is going on here? <laughs> that we know about. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Maybe Batman would be smarter and just not actually show us. So we, we do have heroes who are billionaires. We have uh, Bill Gates, who uh, professionally I dislike him, but from uh, what he's, his impact on the world with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is actually amazing. He's probably the prime example of someone who's saving the world. We have someone like Elon Musk who's trying to save the world by leaving it or at least getting humans off of it. Uh, so we do have these people who are like superheroes in our modern world. So it's exciting it's, and interesting. So what I did trying to understand this stuff was uh, start to study them. So lots of autobiographies and biographies. And really, I like those kinds of books in particular because they're based in the real world and they're people who have the same limits as all of us, meaning time, but they're still able to achieve things. And what I noticed was that, yes, there were definitely specific factors that applied to each of them in, in specifically with their, within the context of how they grew up and all that. But generally speaking, what all of these people who I read books about had in common is that they had luck, which I define as opportunity times preparation. You don't really get to control uh, opportunity per se, but you certainly can control preparation. So it's the multiplying the two where you really get luck. Uh, and then habits which is, this is part of my long answer and answering your original question here. Habits, I think, are what superheroes and billionaires and other people who are successful in other ways are different than the rest of us. So I started looking very seriously into that. And there's a whole bunch of books on the topic and they're, they're fine. But I, but what I've 
started to realize and what I've really ingrained in myself is that it's habits, not ideas that are the programming language of human beings. And so I took this and I, I very seriously studied this concept. So I studied artificial intelligence, trying to mine this a little bit, trying to understand what breakthroughs are being made there and can I apply this to myself? And I found one that I thought applied quite well. It's this idea of recursive self-improvement. So this is stolen from the field of AI, uh, but I try to apply it with habits. Recursion, if you're not aware, if you don't have a development background, is a method that calls itself. And so you can be very, very powerful in a very, very small uh, instruction base or a very, very small amount of code. So in a human's life, it seems like this would be a habit that calls itself, so a habit that approves upon itself. The most straightforward example of this would be something like speed reading. If you can speed read and you really could keep your retention high, then you'd be better at self-improvement because you'd be able to input more information into yourself and then you'd get better at everything, essentially, if you're reading the right stuff. So in this way, it'd be recursive in that you would be uh, a habit that was making you better at self-improvement. So improving at self-improvement. Oh, so sort of like a, a loop of sorts. It's a very specific kind of loop. So you're saying, if it's fair, you tell me, that it's, it gets real powerful when, like the speed reading example, is that you are improving your ability to improve yourself. And thusly, there's kind of a, I'm thinking like compound interest here. There's like yes. a, a growing effect when you're growing the thing that does growing. <laughs> exactly right. So like a billionaire is going to know the advantages of compound interest, right? That's probably how they became a billionaire, at least in many, many cases. And so I want to apply this concept of uh, compounding interest to people, to humans. So take it away from finance entirely. Uh, and I realize that there's certain habits, there's ones I'm calling recursive self-improvement habits, that get more powerful as you develop them and they make other parts of your life better. So speed reading is one kind of example, although there's some problems here. The other ones that I've seen uh, that I think are more beneficial are diet and exercise and, say, personal finance, friends, your network, your, your, your family, uh, and things like focus. If you can get better at those core, I think uh, other people have a... There's, a, oh, there's like a Venn diagram here with what I'm calling recursive self-improvement habits and other people call with uh, keystone habits. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So there's these ones that if you can get really good at these, then it makes everything else much, much better. And so I doubled down on this concept. So you would ask me, well, how do I measure these things? How do I prioritize things? Uh, and how do I pers persevere with these things? Well, this is exactly how I prioritize things. I take what I believe to be these recursive self-improvement habits and I, I draw what's called a goal up. And this is cool. I've actually never talked about this publicly before. So this is something I've actually been doing for years. So what I do is I outline what are the most important skills that I want to be working on in my life. And then I am every quarter map the projects that I am doing to those. And I, I realize that if my projects are not aligning with these specific habits, that I'm not going the direction that I want. So let's go do a concrete example of this. For me, these are diet, exercise, personal finance, uh, fa family and friends. There also could be something like if you go with traditional like definitions I've read of job satisfaction, it would be something like autonomy or uh, competence, uh, relatedness, maybe creativity, impact. I take these broad categories and then I map all my projects to them. And if you have a job, well, so anybody who has a job is going to have to do some projects that don't align with these, but you can know you're going the right direction. You can know that you're pointing the right way if most of the projects you're doing or most of the hours that you're spending are building up these kind of recursive self-improvement habits. These ones are going to get better over time and superpower you, give you these superpowers. Okay, that's a cool, that's exciting. I'd love to dig deep into one of them. Let's talk about focus uh, because I think that that's uh, highly applicable for professionals who have a lot of things coming at them from a lot of places. So 
how would you recommend starting to grow your capacity to focus such that it is, it's recursive and building on itself and becoming all the more awesome? Well, the most recent book I wrote, uh, is, it's called The Minimalist Mindset. It's entirely about just focus. Focus is a very, very big topic. And funny enough, I think it's one that doesn't get, <laughs> doesn't get enough attention, even though we're in a world where it is very hard to focus in. Like there's more need for focus than ever. The way to become focused is to figure out what it is that you want to be focused on first. So prioritizing, as we just covered, I use this tool called the Goal Web, but you can use any, any kind of prioritization system that you want and that works for you. And then being ruthless about eliminating distractions or anything that is not serving you. So if you want to have extraordinary results, again, you have to really be persistent about being ruthless of eliminating any avenues you might have for failure. So this could be as simple as a clean desk. I mean, that's the kind of advice that I hear on like every podcast, including yours. Your last guest, I think, spoke a lot about this and did a nice <laughs> job on it. But it's also making sure you don't have too many things on your plate, too many responsibilities. It's about saying no and then consistently doing it, which is, which is hard. Uh, there's, there's, this reminds me of a Steve Martin quote perseverance is a great substitute for talent. <laughs> I think I think that is a great way of looking at it. If you can just persistently say no to the things that are not important and have an eye, uh, an understanding of what is important in your life, then you're setting yourself up on a very, very um, good path for, for potential success by however you want to measure that. Well, I'd love to hear a few more things that are great to eliminate. One is clutter from a desk. Uh, another is, you know, many, many commitments. Are there sort of particular commitments or distractors that are particularly pernicious? Yeah. So this book I wrote called The Minimalist Mindset is a book about minimalism. And minimalism is usually applied to things. So this would be like having less clothes so that you don't have to spend your creative energy uh, picking out clothes in the morning, right? And that's how minimalism is usually uh, is usually looked at, which is, I think, a, a good idea. But I think the real beauty of minimalism is that it applies to everything. So this could apply to your friendships. This could apply to your email. This can apply to uh, your car can apply to anything you want. So I'm trying to find out. Oh, I want to go giving you an example that's not the common one. So I'm going to avoid email just because I, that comes up in lots of podcast episodes. Um, Inbox Zero is a great way to do it and look into a tool called Sanebox that'll kind of, there's a, there's a Cliff Notes version of how I got my email under control. But let's try to do something like priorities because that ends up being the hardest one from a professional perspective. Let's kind of dive into that a little bit. So what's happening with a job, from my understanding, is that what you're trying to do is trade time for money. And what in doing so, if you're working for somebody else, which almost all of us are, uh, be it client or be it a boss, then you are helping them achieve their dream rather than you necessarily achieving your dream. And you have to do this to start with when you don't have a lot of leverage professionally because you need money and you need to pay your bills. But I think it becomes very tempting uh, to continue to prioritize all the things that your bosses, or your clients are prioritizing so that you can get more and more money so you can upgrade your lifestyle so you can kind of go down this this path. And again, that works for everybody. But for me as a minimalist, I eventually got to a point where I had enough career capital, enough leverage where I could say, you know what, I'm doing okay. And I'd rather focus on these other things that I've already established as important in my life. So in my case, that was my life list. So I was able to take these things that I had to focus on and then realize and kind of take a step back and be like, well, whose dream do I really want to accomplish here? Is it help my millionaire boss get more money? Or is it that I want to have more flexibility and freedom in my life and in my family and friends' lives. And so I kind of took a turn there and started to start to persist in those directions, making things work that way. And that, that kind of is a rabbit hole as well. Okay. Well, and I'd love to hear, you know, as you're, as you're being ruthless, as you're 
saying no to things. Any pro tips on on how to do that in the kindest or or best way possible? Yeah, this is a very hard thing, and I want to I want to make sure that that part is clear. That saying no, I think people gloss over how difficult that is, but a lot of times it's saying no to like your significant other or saying no to uh, someone who has a lot of professional leverage over you. And that's, that's very difficult. Uh, the only ways I've found to do this is to create scripts. So that's as easy for you and reflexive for you as possible. If you're very clear on what the direction you do want to go in, it gives you this motivation to do these uncomfortable things of saying no to people you may really legitimately care about. So for a professional, I'll do an email script. So I've written up a very polite way of saying no. This says basically the idea is that um, currently I have uh, too much responsibilities on my plate. I want to make sure that I give everyone my all with those. I'm happy to meet with you or I'm happy to work on your project, whatever the context is. But it has to be after I finish my current obligations. I, I don't like being this busy. And so I'm taking active steps to make sure that's not the case going forward. So I have a written out email that already says this. I've massaged all the wording uh, so that this is cl- crystal clear. Uh, and that's what I'll say. And it's just for me, it's two keystrokes. Uh, I have a, I run a Mac and you can just build this. It's built into the operating system uh, to do shortcuts uh, with text. Mm-hmm. So I think I just type in no B. So knob, I think is the word. And then it, it does that out in my email. And then I hit send. And then I, I go on to the next thing. If it's a significant other, it's a lot harder. It's working with your family and your friends so they can understand what it is you're up against and what it is you're trying to achieve. Uh, so they can understand why you're prioritizing the things you are rather than just saying no. It's giving them a fuller understanding of the why you're saying no and letting them know that the no is a temporary no so you can pursue this other thing so that you can make everybody's lives, and this would be friends, family, make everybody's life a little bit better. Okay, very nice. So let's see, I had all these things I wanted to hear from you and I think we've, we've covered a good bit. When it comes to the habits, you, you've focused in on here's something that's worth developing as a habit. And we said no to a lot of other things in order to make that happen and to to dig deep because it is you know recursive and has great cool cumulative effects. What are your perspectives on getting that habit to really stick in, in terms of I am embarking upon this? I want this to be a habit in my life. What do I do to ensure that I can make that happen and not fall off the wagon? Well, the first thing I do is I. Uh, put it out there into the world that I'm working towards this habit. So be it weight loss or be it exercise or be it inbox zero, whatever it is, you put it out in the world uh, so that you have this positive peer pressure working for you. Uh, you could also word this as working against you, but it works It works in your favor because people are going to check in on this. From then, I make sure that I have plans for your bad days because there's nothing I've found that I can do to eliminate bad days or days where you don't have motivation. Uh, and so I pre-plan some simple alternatives to make sure I do my full practice. So if this is exercising, this would be saying, okay, if you're having a bad day or it's a day you're traveling where it's going to be really hard for you to do a run, for example, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to have this exercise put into notes on my phone so I know exactly what it is. I'm going to already have looked at what all the positions are so that I know this, so there's nothing to stop me there. And then I'm just going to do it in the clothes that I'm wearing. So this wouldn't be a run. This would be something like like a series of like jumping jacks and push-ups and sit-ups, that kind of thing, where you don't need equipment. So I, pre- I pre-plan for bad days and I make it crystal clear in my mind what I'm going to do on days where I don't have the option of doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, so that was the example was with uh, exercise. You could also do this with, say, email or you could do this with kind of any other area of my life as a pre-plan for it. And the last one here is rekindling what it is that inspired me to start this to begin with. So this is almost YouTube, almost always YouTube videos for me. So what I've realized is that I can get into, say, day 20 of doing a new habit, be it exercise or be it right now I'm learning the bass, guitar, 
And what I found is that like day one and two are easy, basic, like kind of easy because you have a lot of motivation. Uh, day three is always really hard because your motivation is a little bit low and you don't really have that willpower as strongly as you did the first two days. And so what I found is that like, right around day three, day four, I'll go rewatch that initial spark that made me inspired to do this job to begin with. So again, I said this is usually YouTube videos. Sometimes this will be a conversation with a friend or whatnot. Um, but then I'll do that again like 10 days later. So that works out to day 13 or day 14. And then any other times I stumble past that point where I'm not going to make it to uh, a true ingrained habit, each usually depending on the research or who you're reading, is like day 22 or day 30. I make sure that I get those, those reboosts of the original inspiration source uh, multiple times at points when it's particularly important. That's intriguing that you can often pinpoint the original inspiration source. I'm curious, are there particular YouTube channels that you're watching? Where, where, are, you, where are you going that packs such a punch? Well, let's unpack that a little bit. So it's important to note that sometimes watching the same video over and over again is not going to quite do it. Although there are some videos, which I'm happy uh, to share with you in the show notes, that really every time I watch them really get me going again. Uh, but it's more like I'll find a particular, with the bass guitar, it's I'll find a particular artist, uh, I really like Flea from them, and rewatch some new stuff that he's done or stuff that I haven't seen is really a better way of saying that. Okay, so, yeah, understood. So the source of inspiration there. And now if you want to create habits of focus, for example, and you are seeking a, a source of inspiration, I just, I'm wondering if, if a video would, if the, what video would do it is like, oh, check out that guy not looking at his Facebook news feed. <laughs> I'm fired up. I'm, what, what would it be? Well, in that case, it could be that a video is not the best way to do it. I'm certainly open to that. But if I was trying to do focus, I might look at something that someone has accomplished as, re, as a result of their focus and focus in on that. <laughs> uh, so that could be a great business person or a great sports star, um, maybe their highlight reel, something along those lines. Or a person spending some time with someone who I really admire, who does a great job with their family and just seeing how it is they focus on their children and just watch that again. Uh, maybe that'd be an offline example that is better applied here. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. And, and that I'm almost seeing, I don't know, in my in my mind's eye, I'm picturing just sort of like a pulled quote and a graphic of the, the person's face and, and them sort of articulating that sort of decision or philosophy, whether it's entrepreneur or, or someone that you're looking up to, like they have attributed their success to a thing. I'm reading the book Black Swan right now. And the, it seems to me at this point in the book that the major thesis is saying that some things that happen to us are very random. Uh, and very often humans uh, do not take randomness enough into uh, account when they're, when they're looking um, back at their accomplishments. So like one of the key examples, I don't remember if it's from this book or from something else that I read, uh, is Steve Jobs looking back at his life. And he does the famous commencement speech, which is great to YouTube video. I bet you more than half of your listeners have watched that. But what he's failing to do is understand a lot of the other things that happened in his life that he didn't have any control over, any responsibility over, that also helped him enable these. So yes, he certainly used some habits to make these things occur. Um, but it also just so happened that he was born during a time when computers were even possible to develop. And there was also ripe given the marketplace for it. Those were things that he didn't have any control over. So these are kind of the exceptions that break the rule. And I think humans overly attribute their own amazingness, <laughs> amazingness uh, to their past accomplishments. So I, I'm trying now, I'm reading this book, trying to apply that to my life as much as possible. You can do things that open up opportunity for you, but you're not going to be able to control those opportunities and how they play out. You're only going to be able to prepare yourself for the potential for an opportunity. I hear you. It, it's not sort of if this, then that kind of direct line of because Steve Jobs did not 
check his email, <laughs> I don't know, early in the morning, then if I don't do that, I too will, will achieve his, his results. But nonetheless, it seems like th- that theme associated with identifying the, the patterns that you want to model or the, the spark of inspiration that is compelling for you will push you, even, even if, well, hey, even if we're sort of deceiving ourselves a smidgen <laughs> along the way to get there. Yeah, I mean, I view this, I view this role of randomness as a very positive thing in my life. So if you want to say that like the habits that you're doing and the, and the opportunities you're trying to present for yourself are just you throwing spaghetti on the wall, then by all means, throw more spaghetti. But just acknowledge that there is going to be a degree of randomness to this. And I find this is a nice thing because if I fail at something and it seems like I was doing everything right, it makes me realize, hey, you know what? The world's actually much more complex than I understand. There were other things at play here. That doesn't mean that I'm a failure because I failed at this particular thing. It just means it didn't happen this time. Mm-hmm. So I see that I see this, the role of randomness is a very positive thing. Very good. Okay, cool. Well, Danny, tell me anything else you want to cover before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? I do. I want to talk about the mistake that I've seen lots of my friends make professionally and that I think they can be very valuable if people were able to get better at it. All right. So the most common professional mistake that I'm seeing with friends and family members and other people, uh, other clients that I have is that they're not showing the right kind of value to the right people. Uh, a lot of people that I work with or have worked with in the past try to demonstrate their value by putting in lots and lots of hours. And while in some, like especially the tech scene, which is where most of my time has been, uh, that can show value. It doesn't necessarily show the value to the right people. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting the right things done. So what I've tried to do instead is really kind of hyper-focus and work with these people to make sure that they're demonstrating the right kind of value. So understanding what their goals are from their boss, which <laughs> which actually I found is they can just ask their boss and that, that enlightens people a lot. They work on something, and I've done this many times. I've worked on a project for six months, nine months. And while my boss thought it was interesting or good, I didn't realize that it was not the thing that was most important to them uh, or that would solve their bigger hanging problem. And just by having a simple coffee conversation with them, asking them what their biggest problems that they run into now, I can understand where the right value is. And then showing this to the right person. So it's easy to show value to your boss because they're checking on you and they're making sure you're providing value for the business. But what turns out to be more important is to show value many times to your boss's boss because they're the ones who are going to make more, they're going to be ones who are going to be information about you is going to be new because they don't see you every day. And they're probably the ones who can make decisions um, that are going to impact you in a way that you're able to leapfrog in your career as opposed to just move up incrementally. So what I've been doing with that is uh, sending out, uh, and I have an email script for this, but a uh, polite way of, of trying to have a very casual coffee with uh, your boss's boss, if that applies, or just with the head of the company, CEO, or whatnot, and just trying to understand their problems and then demonstrating that you have some value without stepping to- on the toes of anyone who you're directly working for and just saying, hey, I'm here to help. I'm interested in what is you see as good employees. I'm interested to see where you think the company's going. I'm interested to see what your priorities are with everything, just so that I can be on the same page with you and help eliminate kind of silos, that kind of stuff. Cool. Thank you. All right. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Yeah, I'm a big fan of quotes. Uh, so I have lots of them. But the one that has been resonating with me lately is one that my bartending instructor gave me years ago at a bartending school. He was said, uh, everything that we are is revealed by how we play. That, that really struck me because I think a lot of people spend a lot of time, myself included, uh, overthinking things. I do this probably worse than anybody. But it's when you your shields are down, it's when you're actively playing that I think your true essence really shows itself. And I've been trying to remind myself of that more and more. Okay, thank you. 
And how about a favorite book? Favorite book, hands down, is The Alchemist. It's the only book I reread every year. Uh, the Alchemist is really a beautiful, uh, wonderful story. And how about a favorite tool so that it helps you be awesome at your job? Uh, gaff tape. So gaff tape is very much like duct tape, uh, but it doesn't uh, leave residue and it doesn't melt in uh, high temperatures. Now, of course, if you put it on the sun, it would, but generally speaking, it doesn't. So this is for like your studio setup? Yeah, I mean, but I travel with this. So there's been lots of times when it'll, all, I mean, you can use tape for anything, right? But this will be that I'm fixing some clothes. This will be I'm patching a tent. This will be uh, earplugs. I probably shouldn't have done that, for, <laughs> but I have. I mean, gaff tape just, it's solved all kinds of problems that I, that, <laughs> that no other tool that I've had is, has such an expansive way of solving problems. So yeah, gaff tape, you can buy it on Amazon or anywhere. Oh, cool. Thank you. And how about uh, a favorite habit? Of all these we've discussed, is there one you think is ever more key for you? Boy, I mean, I don't have a specific habit, but I would say a general good direction going is to read more autobiographies. So if you want to make that into a smart goal, it'd be uh, read, say, 15 autobiographies by December 31st of uh, 2018. Okay, thank you. And is there a particular nugget you share that seems to really connect and resonate with folks? You hear them repeat it back to you? Yes. Okay. So this has to do with the human eyeball. <laughs> uh, this is something that comes back to me and I haven't heard people say it to me verbatim, but I've heard them express the same idea. So I like it. So if you look at the human eyeball from an evolutionary standpoint, how we got it to where it is now, uh, there's at least one interesting thing about it, but I'm sure there's many. Um, but if you look at men's, the typical man's eyeball compared to the typical woman, and there's, I want to enunciate, or I want to make it clear that there's of course going to be some variations here. So I'm, I'm making a very big jump here by just saying that men's versus women, but it's more complicated than that, but I'm going to. So men, if you look at their eyeballs, it's developed in a way where the visual perspective is, is relatively laser focused when compared to a typical female eyeball for humans, uh, whereas women's are very, very broadly focused. And so it's unclear exactly what the reason for this, but the best guess that I've heard from an evolutionary standpoint is that men develop a narrow visual focus uh, for hunting. It's very important to know exactly where the animal is and have that laser focus, whereas women uh, evolution spent a lot of time taking care of children and children are running around all the place and there's lots of things going on at the same time. So having a broader uh, focus would be something helpful there. And I, I like this from a humor perspective because it, I mean, it explained perfectly why when a man checks out a woman, it's very obvious, but when a woman checks out a man, it's not quite as obvious. <laughs> but where, where I actually find value in this is that this is a really beautiful, vivid picture of understanding alternative perspectives it's very easy to get caught in your own head where you believe that everybody lives in the same world as you. But with this example, it's not that only do people think differently from you, uh, which is kind of obvious. It's also that in this example, uh, half, the po- half the population is going to see the world different than you. And they're going to experience the world differently from you because visual, your eyes, is such an important sense for how you experience the world. So I really like this idea of understanding how just that small, subtle change can really make a vastly different world from different people's uh, point of views. That's cool. Thank you. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Go to lifelisted.com and then the about page there. So lifelisted.com slash about to get all the contact information and much more information about my story. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Sure. If you're interested in learning more about focus and an alternative way of trying to develop that in your life, check out my latest book, The Minimalist Mindset. You can find it at any bookstore uh, or on Amazon. All right, cool. Well, Danny, thanks so much for for chatting here. And I wish you luck with uh, the subsequent goals that you are establishing for yourself. And it seems like you've got a a heck of a track record. So 
it's going to be cool to see what unfolds here. Well, thank you. And thanks all the listeners for spending time with us today. We both really very much appreciate it. I really dug what Danny had to say about recursive learning, which kind of reminds me of a podcast episode number 146 with Barbara Oakley, who taught the most enrolled course in the world, a MOOC, massive online open course called Learning How to Learn. But learning how to learn would be an example of a recursive skill or those things that free up and liberate more time or ability to focus like meditation or mindfulness type stuff or exercise, which liberates energy, which can be reinvested into the exercise and more stuff. I really dig that. It just feels powerful in terms of the compound interest example we talked about or, or just growing upon growing upon growing. So that's cool. That's inspiring. And hopefully maybe that gives you an extra oomph of motivation that a given goal can have some really huge, powerful consequences for tackling it and conquering it and feeling like a baller and maybe tackling 149 more life bucket list goals after that. Really cool. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to out of that we've referenced here, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F277. If you haven't already, I do hope you will push subscribe to hear from our next guest. Oh boy, it's a good one. It is Morton Hansen. He's talking about being great at work, similar title, similar color scheme, completely independently come up with. He has some hardcore data-driven research about what distinguishes top performers from not-so-top performers and some cool counterintuitive stuff, research-based, and uh, a fun dude with who brings the goods. So I hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 